Today's episode is brought to you by Burial Ground at burialground.org. The collective vision of longtime friends Jamie Moores and Bill Krasafi, with a mutual obsession over occultism, magic, spirituality, and a deep nostalgia for old New England and the remaining echoes of the Victorian era that haunt the landscape of the region. Made from and inspired by materials in the New England wilderness, Barrel Ground conjures up a tangible sense of hand craftsmanship, raw emotions from that connection to the earth, and the highest quality handmade jewelry around. A pentacle pendant was recently featured on the Halloween episode of American Horror Story, worn by Harriet Sansom Harris. Are you on the lookout for a unique holiday gift? Head to Burial Ground and enter ITTIG Pod at checkout for free domestic shipping on jewelry and incense. That's burialground.org and offer code ITTIGPOD at checkout. Welcome, everybody, to I Think This Is Great with Clay Inferno, Episode 3. I'm here today with Jerry Business, a very long-time friend of mine. He lives in San Francisco now, so we were able to bridge that gap with a Skype phone call and a brand-new podcast for everybody, just in time for the holidays. What we're going to talk today about is Around the World in 80 Toys, the street photography of Jerry Business. But what we really got into was a conversation about gratitude and... And listening, and we went back to our punk rock days, and we had such a blast. So I really hope you enjoy the third episode of I Think This Is Great. Remember to tag me, I-T-T-I-G pod, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and also hashtag JBusinessToys, where you can find jerry on instagram shooting small so thank you everybody that's been listening and tuning in on itunes please rate and review because it's very important for those itunes ratings so that i can get more people to listen to the show and then i can bring more awesome guests your way so here's jerry and for an exclusive exclusive giveaway if you go to the show notes here on i think this is great.com you can find a google form where you can enter for a chance to win a copy of around the world in 80 toys that's i think this is great.com slash three the number three and fill out the google form and you can enter for a chance to win a copy of this book that we're going to talk about which is toys all over the world and you'll find out some of his photography techniques and uh, we talk a lot about a lot of great great topics so thanks jerry for coming on the show enter for a chance to win a copy of the book and please rate and review on itunes and and share the episode with anybody you think might enjoy thank you very much happy holidays and we'll talk to you on the internet i think your business is great and i think you're listening to clay fernal <laughs> wait that was backwards <laughs> I'm going to use that one because that's fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. Hey, everybody. You are listening to I Think This Is Great. And I it's my honor to introduce you to my longtime friend, Jerry Business, all the way from the other coast, the other side of the country. Thanks, Clay. Yeah, the other side would be San Francisco. <laughs> it's almost the other side of the world. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, so dude, thank you for thank you for coming on, man. We we chatted a little yesterday. A little we did a little pre show prep, and uh, we're we did. we're here to talk to uh, to the world about a lot of stuff. But also, we're going to talk about your book around the world in eighty toys, the street photography of Jerry Business. Awesome! Thanks for having me on, man. This is awesome. I'm really excited uh, to share this moment with you and everybody who's listening. So you've. How did you even start with this book? Like, give us the origin story of the book itself, just by taking Instagram yeah. photos. Well, first, let me. Uh, I'll lose, uh, I want to make one thing clear. I was at a retreat this weekend where I was meditating 
a lot and getting to know my inner self. So if I get a little touchy-feely on this interview, that's why. I'm still in that mode a little bit. <laughs> well, but I just wanted to warn you. That, the first episode is with my friend LJ, who talks yeah. about compassion in the workplace. So this is okay. like... This is the perfect like second episode. Right yeah, totally. Wait till you hear that one because she she and I like really got into it and like we got into uh, like our past. And we got we we talked about like being compassionate at work and like how hard it is to do that stuff. So so I'm glad that you're touching yeah. your inner self. I feel like I'm in a really good place right now too. So it's awesome to talk to good. you. Good. Well, one skill I learned too is that if you're listening to somebody who's talking and that person who's talking hesitates and they just take a pause, then after a certain little amount of time, you just say, thank you. You just say that to the person who was talking when they pause, if they pause too long. So maybe we could do that. If you or I pause, we can thank each other. We can try to see if that works to keep this calm. Thank you. <laughs> I was like, how do I time this so that it's funny? <laughs> that was good timing, actually. I was I nervous time... for a second, and then all of a sudden you said thank you. I was like, oh, now I'm totally relieved. I was like, if I go too long, <laughs> I'm just being a dick. <laughs> it's awkward. <laughs> and then if I just said immediately said thank you, that would mean I'd want you, I want you to shut up. Thank you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Thank you. Now let's move on. Okay, yeah, I, yeah. I you know, see... like like Larry King, like Larry King would do or something. I can see it. That's how it works on the the other side. Let's say there's a whole group of other people in the world that aren't compassionate and nice. That's what they do. When they're done talking, they just say thank you and walk away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so anyway, you can see how this. You can put this into practice. <laughs> oh, it's so it's so perfect. <laughs> so perfect. Thank you. Um, so I think your question was, how did this book get started? So the, so it started like maybe five or six years ago roughly five and a half years ago. And uh, recently I'd lost my sister. I'd lost my dog, my longtime dog Muggs, uh, had for about 10 and a half years the cancer and was going through all of this stuff at the same time. And while I was kind of in the final throes with Muggs, I started um, kind of trying to distract myself. And I, I work in a lot of collaborative environments with mm. people, like building, building software, right? So like you're working with multiple people. I think everything is becoming much more collaborative, just in, not just in software, but in everything. But as a creative person who's grown up and been uh, maybe an art director and things, I was used to being able to call some shots and kind of drive certain visions and kind of tell people <laughs> what to do to some degree. We're always collaborative, but we would say, look, this is what we're doing. Do it. Get it done. And uh, right. then the, the whole culture shifted to like, hey, everybody's got something important to say and everybody should be heard. And, and I think it's true. Like you, collaborating builds something greater. So as I started collaborating a lot more in the workplace and stuff, I was like, man, I used to have ideas and I used to have, you know, just do things like make records and things. And then I was like, all I'm doing now is collaborating. Everything gets watered down a little bit, maybe for the right reasons, but I wanted to do something that, um, that nobody else could tell me what to do. So I don't have to collaborate at all. All I do is I do it. And if you like it, awesome. If you don't like it, it's a fine too. I'm just doing this thing and it, I don't, I'm not looking for approval. I'm just, it's something that's cathartic for me to do. And I really got in the habit of doing it around the time, like I said, I lost my sister and my dog at about the same time. And, and um, you know, finding that release to stay creative, but in micro moments. So it wasn't some epic painting you had to do that took eight months. And it wasn't like a sculpture that took a year and a half to get through, like a planning committee or something. It was like, I can go out with my iPhone and within three minutes, I can make something happen. Right. And, and I needed that balance in my life. I think I still do. Well, first of all, I'm with you, man, on your sister and your dog. That's uh, that's a terrible loss. And we talked a lot about uh, with with LJ uh, about about loss as well, because uh, like I yeah. lost I lost my mom, and and it's just there's right. nothing really nothing can you know prepare you for that. And but I think that doing stuff like uh, what what I'm trying to do actually with this podcast, which is great, you're bringing this stuff up, is is having that little bit of control. And like, this is what, this is mine. This is mine now. Like, this is the thing that I'm trying to do. And it doesn't matter really exactly what you said. I'm just, I'm just repeating what you said basically, but it's because I feel it really, really deeply inside me that this is like something that we're sharing with the world. And you're right. Like we're, we're like the punk rock guys. It's like, you know, you can listen to it or you don't have to. It doesn't matter. You don't have to look at it or you, or you don't have to (laughs) buy it. You know, I didn't do it for you. Fuck you. I did it for me. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of the 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the other the other thing that you mentioned, like, as is, is like you've got to do it for you and have, get that side out of your brain, so that when you do collaborate with people, then you're like the best clay collaborating ever because you're not trying to push your own agenda because you have an outlet for it. I see. I meet a lot of people in life that don't have an outlet and they're frustrated and they're trying to figure out how to get some of this energy out of their minds and they don't really have that outlet. They don't race motocross or they don't, you know, play ultimate frisbee or they don't, they just don't have that oddly. I mean, but that's, it's something some people either had or lose or never had. And you know, but if you can go into those meetings, just being with the clay that wants to, or the Jerry, Jerry that wants to just uh, work collaboratively, then you're going to bring all that awesome energy and you're not going to be frustrated. Like, Oh, I'm wasting my time with them. I could be doing my own thing. Right. And it's not about you. It's you personally, like your ego or whatever. It's about a balance of you within like your friends and social groups and stuff. One, one thing that I, I keep thinking about was like all the stuff like we, we used to do as kids, like something you said there about like, maybe if somebody maybe had that, that sort of drive to do something creative on their own, like we did all as kids and like we were in bands and like doing all that stuff we were doing back then. Like we were always just producing records. You you guys were always putting, putting out records. You were like, let's do a, let's do a record with the dropkick Murphys and the swinging udders. And you know, like (laughs) that stuff is like, and now like, now I like work for Ken you know now like you know like you're still my friend and i always forget like i you're jerry from you're jerry from down the block for for me i always forget you've had (laughs) but i because you're like my good friend like i don't think about like these things you just glanced over like your professional accolades like you've worked at like these amazing magazines and like and are doing software development and stuff and so it's it's great that you are successful with your your real career and you're also successful now with this book. So I just think it's great, man. Kudos yeah, to you. I appreciate that. And you know, I'm not really a careerist, but you know, you, uh, if you, if people listening might not know, but you and I went to the same college. I don't know if you said that, but we both went to mass college of art right in Boston. If you, and we both played in bands, we had a lot in common. So if you like, if you were to tell me then that I would even be alive at this age, I would tell you maybe, <laughs> I don't know, you know, I doubtful, but you know, and yeah, right. <laughs> Right, right. And the fact that we're both, you know, we're still going and we're still creating. One thing I learned, so I, I figured out I, I wanted to move to San Francisco, and I, I figured I didn't know if I was going to make it six days or six months. Or I've been here twenty one or two years, or twenty two years almost. We graduated like ninety six. Yeah, so, like we were. Um, I, don't, I don't mean to interrupt, but like we were like you, uh, you were you were the you were like the first to go out there. Then other friends like went out there, and then like I think me, me being somebody that stayed home, I was like. I was just like, I wonder how long he's going to stay out there. And then you just sort of stay. I know, right? <laughs> I, you know? You know, you know what happened? Like, the couple of things, like, you know, I met I met my partner and I moved and I wanted to, like, kind of uh, come out a little bit. I was somewhat mm-hmm. uh, dealing my own sexuality. And, like, part of it was um, I wanted to, I, you know, as we were in town, we were playing in bands, right? And I idolized, like, all the 80s hardcore and punk bands in Boston and all this stuff there. I still listen to them all the time. And, and you think of that moment in time, it was a different moment in time. But I remember being in the 90s, and there was this other thing going on in Boston. It was good. But I would look at that other g- g- era of, you know, like, I don't want to say the names of the bands, but like bands you know from Boston. And some of them were living in their parents' basement still, and some of them were doing things. And I'm yeah. like, and these are famous people in my mind, you know? Right, right, right. And uh, into a huge subgenre of people. They're, they're infamous. They're like legends. And I'm like, but man, they're struggling. And I was like, man, I don't want to end up, I could have been a townie easily. Uh, and I was a lot of my life, but it, it, I was like, maybe I could do something different. And, and worst comes to worst, it'll just open a door and I'll see what, well, what's on the side of that door. And that's that's why I say I'm not really a careerist. I just keep going through doors. So I keep trying to open doors and I go through them. Well, like, I mean, you are the, you're the creative director at Wired Magazine. Is that is that the right title? That's the right title. I mean, you think of creative... Uh, no, I was the... Yeah, I was the um, art director. Art director. And okay. there was... Yeah, so there's, an, there's a creative director. So for a while, I was the head person there. There was some turmoil that went on at Wired, and I ended up being the only, really the the only design person there. And then um, we built the team back up. It was a bit of a hectic period. But anyway, then we went on and won, like, multiple national magazine awards and, and stuff like that. You know, one of, the, one of the coolest things I got to work on there, like, if, if I was going to tell you one story about Wired, there's a million, and it teaches you, it's like, 
like the West Point of magazines, you know, like if you're going to do magazine work, Bard's where you want to be. And when, yeah. when I, actually a Bastard Squad spine, if you look at the spine of the first Bastard Squad record, mm -hmm. you'll see the wired spine from their magazine because I liked the magazine back then even when it just started. <laughs> I, I copied the spine oh, right, on, the, right. on the CD for the... You, because I always thought when you put it into it with the 100 or 200 CDs, you could see it in a second. I remember, I remember you explaining that like to that. me in, in, not, in not so many terms, but like not even mentioning the magazine. Maybe you didn't want to tell me you stole it at the time, but you were like, dude, check this out. You and, uh, <laughs> you're in our friend Andre, because like, you have this alternating color to going down the spine, and it like sticks out. And I was yellow like, and red. Yellow and red, which yellow is an odd red. combination. And you know what McDonald's. I did? Yep, and you know what I did in like 2007. So excuse me, when I was at uh, when I was at Wired around 2007. So I, I at one point was doing a cover, and um, I got to do the same spine. I did the exact thing with a Lego cover, and I did the exact same spine color that Lego that cover. That's perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was kind of fun to do that that many years later. It's my own little joke. Nobody really. This is probably the first time I've ever really told anybody that would understand what Bastard Squad was <laughs> and connected, but. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just my own little joke. Um, yeah, so I've been pretty lucky to go from like uh, the, the quick of it is this. So I'll just say it quickly is like you know basically um, playing in bands with Clay and going to art school and then like being a bike messenger for uh, in Boston, which was an art. I did art art installation too for Boston Corporate Art for a while. We used to go to the punk shows in the Boston Corporate Art band. It was the best. Um, so that thing cracked me up. And then when I moved out here, I was just I, I could do picture framing and messengering, and those two things in my mind meant you could go anywhere in the world because if people are always right. framing pictures, and you can jump into a frame shop and they need help, and you can always like go to the messenger wall and be like, "Hey, anybody hiring? I need I can ride a bike and and I can figure it and get things there." But both so those, things you don't you know, need a bachelor of fine arts for from the college we graduated from. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> you know, and people don't even understand, right? Like things I tell people, uh, I mean, I've got a bazillion messenger stories, as I'm sure you do, but like twice, there were two things. I used to do the run from the, uh, I used to go to where the babies are born on Brigham Women's, and you go to like the eighth floor. This is for Boston Bike, and then you go up there, and you'd get this file, and it would say biohazard all over it. And it wasn't the band they were referring to. Like it was a biohazard because <laughs> you go in there, and it was, it was all baby foreskins in there. It'd be like nine or ten baby foreskins. And you'd take those foreskins, throw them in your bag, and then you would go to the uh, Boston University um, Burn Center, which is down off uh, Mass Ave, and then you, you'd bring them there, and they would graft them onto the burn uh, patient. So every day, there was nine <laughs> or ten more babies, and then and they'd take their foreskin, and they'd graft it on. Every day, there was a new burn victim who needed some skin. So it was like this assembly line you were part of. What? Dude, that and, is um, the craziest messenger story i've ever heard oh god i got a million but i won't use up all this time with it but i'll tell you one more so because it's boston too there's like um i don't know if they did this to you but they hazed you when you're in a messenger and oh, so they, they go all right go down you know go down to the hospital and um you know, go through this door and pick up the package and i'm like well who should i ask for it just go just go where go to that door and and the police will tell you where to go and i'm like what so okay i drive to the i go I don't drive i pedal over to the hospital and and um and I'm like, I just see a guy sitting on a stool. He's got like a badge on him. I wouldn't call him police, but he's got a badge on and he's sitting there and he just points. He doesn't even say anything to me. He just points. Okay. This is like a game, a video game. <laughs> I go down. There's another policeman sitting behind it, like a kiosk and he just points. And I'm like, what? Is everybody in on this? Nobody will talk to me. They're just pointing as if they couldn't talk anymore. I, I get down like the third or fourth hallway and all of a sudden I look and I see a sign. And the guy, the last guy says, hey, it's down there on the right. And I go down and there's only one door on the right and it says morgue. And I'm like, what? God. So I go in there, man. It's just lined up with bodies, right? And there's a brain on, like, the, the thing, the table right there cut. And I'm sitting there like, what am I doing in here? I'm in there with all these dead bodies. And then I go down, and, and there's a box. And I see a box, and I look at it, and it says Boston Bike. Okay, so I pick it up, and I'm like, what is this box? And what's in here? Well, it turns out... Um, it's a pair of eyeballs. So they, they have people will donate yeah. their eyeballs. Oh. These guys package them up and they go to the eye and ear infirmary. So every day you get a box or a couple or two or three eyeball sets and you bring them over to the eye and ear infirmary and the patients slice them up and dissect them. I like the whole narrative of like <laughs> a anytime anybody is going to the morgue, like somebody needed to deliver a package or deliver a pizza. And they just tell you like, go there. And then every single person never wants to say that's where it is or doesn't want to talk to anyone. They're just pointing people down the hall all yeah, fucking yeah. day. Just Every single one of them. You you're pointing to the <laughs> yeah, next guy. Just go, kid. They don't care what's going on, you know? Wow. No. 
Man, and, and um, I don't know, it's probably worth repeating very briefly, but like the one of the craziest stories, and I think I told Clay this mentioned it yesterday, was when I met, I'd had a package and it said Bill Weld, Governor Bill Weld. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go deliver to Governor Bill Weld. <laughs> so right, I go right. in there, and as you go in there, hey, you're, you're a dirty messenger. You probably haven't showered in two weeks and whatever, and you'd all this. That's you why know, they hated us. Are. I know. <laughs> What could you do? We live ten of us in a house, and you know. So I'm like, oh, it's Bill Wells. Okay, I go up and I'm going to give it to his secretary. But I go in there and I say, okay. She's like, can I help you? And I'm like, yeah, I got this package for the governor. And she goes, well, go give it to him. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, he's right in there. I'm, okay, so I, I walk in there and, I, and he stands up, you know, and I give him the package. And I'm like, what? Like I could have just walked in here with a, a knife or anything. Nobody checked anything. It was <laughs> right, unbelievable right. to me. They didn't even check the package. I'm like, this is the governor. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, you know, and then, and then, and then, and then, two, two or three. It was within a couple of weeks. I went to a Grateful Dead concert uh, on, uh, at the Garden for some reason. I was in there, and um, there was all those swirling Derbyshire people because that of drugs. Circles and <laughs> thank you. Yeah, no, yeah, it, for yeah some because. Yeah, so so I, I'm trying to walk through these swirling people, right? And then I'm like, oh my God, it's a trip. And then like this massive figure comes from the other side, and I look, and I'm like, oh my God, it's Bill Weld again. And then I'm like, oh my, and then I thought, am I on drugs or is that really Bill Weld? And the next day on the radio, they said he was at a Grateful Dead concert, so I knew I did see the governor there too. It was quite a wild week uh, for the governor <laughs> and me. Yeah, like you're thinking, like <laughs> you're thinking, like maybe I'm having some sort of like transposing, like me having to go to the. To his office. Yeah. Just, I, maybe I just see Bill Weld. It's like um, being John Malkovich. Like, everybody looks like fucking Bill Weld everywhere you go or something. Exactly. Yeah, and my synapses don't all connect correctly, so I don't know what's going on half the time, you know? So it's always good to double and triple check. <laughs> yeah, like Bill Weld is just with a bunch of whooks fucking spinning around. Whoa, what a fucking yeah. crazy story. <laughs> and what was it like yeah, it messengering was- in San Francisco? I remember those days because I think we went to visit you, my girlfriend and I at the time, and you were a messenger, when- I think. Yeah. Like very early days. Yeah, but yeah. For the first year and a half, I was a messenger here, and I was a, I was also, it was like being in war, I was a dispatcher, I was a messenger, so I would have the car and the motorcycle boards dispatching packages, running tags, and also running all the bike boards at certain points, I was doing all those things, which I think, although I feel like I'm slowing down, but maybe like, I think it's, it's enabled me to like do a lot of things at once. Part yeah, of it, the traffic. To kind of think that way. Yeah, like you, yeah. When you're trafficking, uh, I guess, I, I, I work for a a digital magazine let's say but like uh so like you have to but you have to track all this creative and like make sure people are giving yeah. you shit and fucking this designer's working on that and you're like reviewing covers and it's just like a lot of people just all looking up to you like what's next <laughs> what's next what's this and you're moving all the pieces around right yeah so when you have a team that's well oiled and doing that it's, it's amazing to be part of that experience but when you're overwhelmed yeah it can just be overwhelming when I was uh, when I was uh, messengering out here, you have to spend at least ten percent of your time answering people who ask you, "Hey, do you know Puck?" <laughs> about ten, I'd say about ten percent of your time is used up just answering that question when you're messenger. Yeah, out there. yeah. Forget so, the hey, hills. Do you know Puck? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. There's a map you can get here. I learned it. You know, of course they haze you here, and so they send me over California Street. You know, there's the first tag I had, and of course everyone's laughing as i'm like where the fuck is this address because it's some made-up address at the top of the steepest hill and i you know you go you do what you know what happens you know they hate you and they, they make funny okay now let's get on to business and we started doing tags but i don't know where i was going with that story but uh they, <laughs> they hazed you into <laughs> going up the steepest fucking hill oh yeah no i was going to tell you that they have this that's when i learned that they have this it's not as important nowadays unless you're just cyclist but if you're working on a bicycle it's very important to have a map that shows you how steep the hills are so then i learned that you can get around almost any hill in san francisco oh. If you know, and the alternate route will take you on a very slow gradient, so you don't have to go up a steep hill, and you can bike just about anywhere really once you have this map. You know, one street over can make a huge difference; can be almost flat, and the other one's like at thirty degrees. You know, and, and it can take just one street difference to to keep you on a much more level incline. I just realized that since I live in Brighton and the the Charles River goes from downtown basically to my house, <laughs> I just was like, yeah. why have I been like riding my bike up the hill on Com Ave like? Every single time I've gone downtown and back, like, why don't I just ride the flat <laughs> by bike route by the river? So I, I've actually ridden that like maybe five times in the last week. <laughs> and even if it's longer, it's better, right? And it's so much nicer. My nice, my little Apple Watch rings <laughs> fill up. It's like, ding, 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 five miles, you're home, sir. You know, <laughs> like, oh, nice. 
That's awesome. Such a nerd. Well, yeah. did, didn't you you spent yeah. some time in in Europe too, right? What were you doing when you were working there? So when I was talking about doors, like so, so I guess the pattern. Oh yeah, so we got hung up on messengering, um, messengering, and then after I did, was an illustrator for a while, which is what I partially went to school for there at Mass Art. So I was illustrating, about to do a bunch of cool illustrations, and then, um, but you know, it was a hustle. Like you guys probably, you know, you know, like you know, if you're independent, you're you're looking for work, you're pitching work, you're doing work, and you're trying to collect for it. And if you're just one person, this gets really crazy and can get if you're out of sync it just can sink you i don't know so, any, how like, anyone yeah, be, can do that like that hustle of um of of invoicing and fucking like waiting for the money and just like doing that freelancer thing if anybody's listening like, to doing that like god bless you for real like that is so hard. hard stuff yeah and there's not you know there's no sympathy it's hard to find a support system you know you, you know, right. a support group for it you know <laughs> you can't outsource um, any of that shit <laughs> no and after like five or six years of that i had stayed alive and i'm like man I've, I've stayed alive uh but but i'm not exactly i don't know you know it could all stop tomorrow like there's no future <laughs> it's hard to plan anything <laughs> for sure because you're just yep. you're just doing these gigs and um and so anyway so so i started um I got a job as a full-time designer. I worked with a bunch of kids at a museum called Zeum, which was awesome. We built interactive exhibits, and this was, this was way back in, like, 98 or 9. And then, um, and then I got into this first magazine, The Industry Standard. Anyway, it led me down a path of magazines. I ended up at Forbes, a bunch of other magazines, and, yeah, um, which culminated in Wired Magazine, right? So then it was, like, print. So I got into the print thing, um, and then I went into uh, websites. I went to CNET and CBS Interactive. CBS, the network, bought it, so I ended up there. So I just ended up there so because somebody had hired me. They worked with me, and they said, hey, we want you to come here and help with these websites. I said, I don't know what. I, I have no idea how to do stuff on the web. And they said, we can teach you. And um, I was like, you got to be kidding me. You know, you're going to take a chance on me. Because the answer there was like, as a creative leader, I knew things inherently that from years of doing that, or, or at that point, meant less years, but I had done that to a point. And, and they couldn't teach an engineer, let's say a back-end engineer, to become a design leader because they just didn't have that background. Right. So then that's what got they were it. trying to do at that company at the time. They were mm -hmm. calling back-end kind of engineers creative directors mm -hmm. and things. And, and nothing against them, but this just isn't what they were. Different skill sets. So anyway... They took a chance on me. So then I said, Hey, okay. I applied that. We did all kinds of cool stuff. Won James Beard awards went, did very well. I was, I was like, I had a lot of competitive spirit cause I just come out of wired, you know? So, and, um, so we, we did a lot of fun things and I went from there to uh mobile, uh, AOL, like Huffington and post and gadget and those kind of sites, movie phone. I met the movie phone guy a couple of times and he, he talks just like that, by the way. Oh, um, nice. Nice. Well, how are you doing, Jerry? Yeah, it's, uh, he's crazy. Um, and he's one guy. He's still, I still, I think still he's just one guy that works there at this point. Um, wow. And I worked with Ariana Huffington, oddly enough, you know. Uh, yeah, she's darling. an inspiration. Uh, she's great. Yeah, so we did a magazine for her. And so we did digital magazines. And then I went, then, then to answer your other question, I went, ended up going to Europe. Uh, I got an opportunity to work for a company called Issue, which does. So you, you work for Issue. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so we did. You know, it's funny because we so we distribute PDFs all around the world at scale. It's a really cool thing. Lots of comic books. Lots of yeah. You know, we had we had to think about like when ISIS. ISIS actually makes this. This is back when ISIS was like the big thing a, t a bunch of years ago, and it, not that they still aren't an issue, but this was kind of really violent things they were doing. And um, they put out a magazine. The other thing, the thing is, they put out a really nicely produced magazine. <laughs> well, of course, um, they're very they did, good yeah. at it. So, right, right. It's called Dubik. It's called Dubik. And um, so we would scan it and be like, you know, we, we, we didn't throw it out. Uh, we would wrestle with this once in a while. Nobody asked us to do that, throw it out. But we looked at it ourselves like, God, do we want, that's a question you have to ask. Like, do you want ISIS represented there? And it's like, we don't want them represented. But so we would scan the content. We didn't, you know, if they were advocating or saying d certain things, we would throw an issue out or whatever. But no, they, I mean, at the time I was there anyway, we didn't, I, they might have. I don't know if they're still on there or not, but at that time we, we wrestled with that. And then what happened, like the Charlie Hebdo thing, remember when they were bombing that comic book yes. Um, yes. You know, out of France? Yes. So we, we, we published Charlie Hebdo. They published on issue, which we, we loved them. But, you know, we got banned in 60 countries, including Australia, for carrying Charlie Hebdo. So wow. that, our app got banned in 60 countries wow. just because we carried Charlie Hebdo. And you would think Australia, why Australia? But they're so nervous I, to, to whatever about the, uh, the Muslim population there, you know, having a backlash there. So they, they were nervous and had enough of a population there of Muslim, Muslim uh, that they just, they, they banned us as well. So free speech be damned. Wow. Wow. And, and I do, I remember issue because I would read a lot of comps. I like get a lot of PDFs sent to me and some, I think IDW was like sending, sending me stuff through issue. Oh, yeah. It was great, great app. Oh, IDW was a big issue one. Yeah. They had a lot of awesome stuff on issue. 
there that that was that was great so that so that brought you you had to you spent some time in europe right and then uh and then you're coming you came so back I spent, to sf I, I was so i feel very lucky that i got to spend time in europe uh and got to well actually one of the things that was so when that door opened i was scared shitless you know i'm just like well i i had different i'm like hey i've never been a vp level let's say you know and i've never i've never worked in europe i've only been to europe once you know like and so I, I tend yeah. to kind of like put myself in situations that make me uncomfortable, but um, it's the only way to grow. And, and so I said, hey, if I could go over there and get dropped in, I don't know anybody. It's not one of those situations where somebody says, hey, come and work with me and you have an in. I knew nobody. And and I was going to go in there. So they dropped me into Copenhagen. And all of a sudden I'm like surrounded by 50 engineers going, all right, guys, let's uh, let's party. You know, it, let's do something here and i'm like okay I'm getting used to the culture and getting used to this so it was like a kind of like an acid bath or like a cold cold bath just shocking myself and seeing if i could survive it's kind of like when i moved out here to san francisco i'm like i don't know if i'm gonna make it like you know but i'll just keep fighting and learning how to survive and, and when i say fighting i'm not out in the streets fighting although there's been a couple of those but i'm not that's not really something i'm good at but um but 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 fighting just to stay alive because as uh, you know every city is expensive in San Francisco as you guys know it's just off the charts so to be able to survive here is a feat in itself yeah. um, and you got to be pretty determined to stay here and I, I do love this city so I've been determined to to uh, figure it out. Um, what, one other story though I'd like to share and this is just because I think would uh, your audience would dig it and it's something I'm pretty proud of. I don't think I finished saying it uh, earlier but it's like when it comes to Wired there's kind of one story there. Uh, there's a bazillion there too, but, but, um, I was fortunate enough to actually work on this one story about, uh, the way it came to us was, um, it was called, uh, wait a minute, what was it? What's that Ben Affleck movie? Uh, Argo. So it was yes. called, it was Argo, right? Yeah, you know that Jack movie Kirby. Argo? Jack Kirby drawings. Yeah. Jack Kirby. Exactly. So we, so we had this pitch and it came through one of our editors. Now the, uh, I didn't really like that. Wired. I didn't really like that movie, <laughs> For, no? but I, but I love Ben Affleck. I like him as a director. Yeah. And I like him as yeah, Batman, yeah. <laughs> but but I, I that was that one like was I was looking for the next The Town, but that re- that movie wasn't. Really oh yeah, yeah, the yeah. Town. There's only one way in and out of Charleston. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but okay. So go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh no problem. So but but let, let me skip around to the other side of it then, since you know so much uh, about Argo. But Argo. So so we basically first was a story in Wired magazine. Argo. And nobody wanted to publish it because nobody knew what to do with it. And it was a story about this film crew that gets this. And so I remember reading the story and it got pitched to Wired and I'm there and and we're like, look, it's just such a good story, even though it's not totally a Wired story. And so every time there was a really weird story that we didn't know how to just go take a great photograph or there wasn't some great artifacts we could document or something uh, or do a great infographic. If it was an abstraction, it was hard to kind of put your finger on. I feel like it kind of got onto my desk. And that's why I worked with so many illustrators like James Jean, different people I got to work with is because I got these weird um, conceptual pieces like crowdsourcing was one of them. I did with James Jean. It's like, and so this story came down. They said, look, figure, you know, LaCroix, see what you can do with this. My, my last name is LaCroix. The people would call me LaCroix around the office. Hey, LaCroix. <laughs> See what you can do with this. And so, you know, I get this story and I'm reading it and I'm excited about it. I don't know what to do. So myself and uh, Scott Dadich, who's the uh, creative director, we started brainstorming and we came up with this idea to do, um, let's do storyboards. So I actually hired a storyboard artist that did E.T. Um, uh, what's the one, uh, what's the one uh, with Harrison Ford there um, where he's like in the desert? <laughs> Indiana Jones. He storyboarded <laughs> yeah, Indiana Jones. Jones. Back to, Back to the Future. <laughs> Back to the Future and all this stuff. Kids, Indiana Jones was a superhero back when we were kids. You probably never heard of him. Yeah, um, yeah, all that stuff. So, uh, so he had done all this stuff. So he did story. I did storyboards with him, and then he he was really awesome about it. But they, it wasn't typically what you do at a magazine. So then we took those. So he couldn't finish them. He got frustrated. I actually ended up finishing some of the drawings, which was good. I had some drawing skills, and then we 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 cut them out, printed them on watercolor paper and then like photograph that on a pin board and all this and did this whole layout in storyboards from a movie from a movie artist storyboard guy yeah um and we told this whole narrative that we took out of the story and we we made these certain panels and like my jaw dropped when i went to see the movie because i knew we had influenced it i know george clooney like read the book and read the thing in wired and ended up buying the rights to it right and all this and so that's all documented and they think wired in the movie um and so it, it got bought out after we published it and um um, but, but when that movie came up, my jaw almost hit the floor because some of the storyboards that came in, they were the same storyboards from the magazine article. Like they were the same, like they totally copped our drawings. 
and I was like, wow, I just, I just, like, I just felt it just was kind of a crazy rush. And I remember being on, uh, I remember being, I think it was Entertainment Tonight or something. I was in L- Las Vegas or something, and I turned on the TV, and all of a sudden my storyboards are being flipped through like a Entertainment Tonight art TV story or something. I'm like, what? You know? And you know, my storyboards. I mean, I, I worked on art directing them, but the and then there was this wonderful, talented uh, uh, art. Uh, storyboard guy but he didn't finish them so some of them was my drawing partially maybe 10 percent got in on some of them stuff so anyway it was a trip so then to have that become an oscar-winning movie uh was pretty awesome now what did they what is the kirby relation to that movie it's like they they so, show yeah some so they had kirby artwork in the movie the ho- i think or something right yeah because of this they had they had the hostages in iran the government was looking for ideas for how to go get them. So these one guys, uh, these one guys, these multiple guys, they had this idea, like, let's become a film crew. We're our film crew. We do a science fiction movie in Iran, and we get the passes to go film this movie. And while we're in there, we break them out, and we, we escape with them. Oh, so good. Like some crazy, like, who thinks, you know, who thinks of doing these things? <clears throat> let's be a pretend, you know, science fiction. So they had them. So they said, okay, if we're a pretend science fiction uh film crew we need a science fiction movie and so they hired jack kirby to do boards and they, you know, they put this whole thing together here's the thing like they we didn't even have like the um we didn't even have the business cards like from that the original cia guys did right um so we had to make up our own business cards the um the uh i can't i'm sorry i can't remember his name but the um the storyboard artist who worked on it um drew up a business card right and um and but that business card is the same one that's in the Ben Affleck movie. But we knew that there wasn't a source material for it. Nobody ever kept one. Um, so <laughs> you were like, <laughs> so "Hey, it's funny because they used our cards." Hey, that's that's the cards that we came up with. Okay, I see. So they <laughs> they did lean heavy on the Wired article. That's so awesome. Well, pretty. Uh, and, that, a- and by the way, that article, I was pretty fortunate. I think it won an AIGA award, a few other awards, um, because that one in particular was just so out of. Even I was at Stanford for a while, and they even the classes there were all like really loved that article because I don't think I've ever seen one like it since or before. I mean, it was a lot of work to put it together, and it was a kind of a risky thing to do in Wired. Wasn't typically like a it was a very different type of thing, so it yeah. got a lot of, a lot of attention. Well, I'm actually do I'm honestly saying this. I'm going to rewatch that movie with that in mind because I do that. <laughs> I do that with media when people say something like, "Yeah, you know, Last Jedi is actually pretty good." All right, I'll be like, oh, okay, and I'll watch and I'll watch it again. Yeah, and I'll say like, I'll take that information and I'll do something with it, and I'm gonna. I'm You're gonna agile, now. you know. You are agile. You're like total fluid, agile yoga master. <laughs> well, if I can, if somebody has like is pointing something out that I didn't notice before, then you know, I think it's it's worth at least like giving them like that feedback. Yeah, like, yeah, you know. Definitely, definitely. Learn and grow. Uh, LJ and I talk a lot about f- giving people feedback on episode one. I keep telling you about this other. This is only episode two. I'm like in the <laughs> middle of it. I'm in the middle of it. I'm drowning in it. This is so good. I'm drowning in feelings. <laughs> I'm feeling it too, man. Dude, let's talk about your book. Let's fucking talk All right, let's about it. Let's talk about book. it. Um, I what- got a few more to. To sell, I got a few more for sale, so it's not running out anytime soon. But you should go out quick and get my book. You, we talked about this yesterday Fred. that you you put yep. this book out yourself, but you did then it, it yeah. got some attention already, and other people are helping you with it. But it's Sporadic Press is a, is the name of your imprint. Sporadic, sporadic Press is the name of my imprint, and it's a desperation move because I couldn't get anybody to put out the book. I didn't try as hard as I probably could have, but you know, Chronicle Books, a few other ones. For whatever reason, it's like we we like it, we don't know what to do with it, and so I started I started going, and, and instantly my instincts from putting out records and stuff kicked in, and I'm like, why am I even trying to get other people to put this out? Probably because I I really don't have time to do much more work. But um, <laughs> all right, I I just I just figured out, and I got a connection. My friend um, Victor Krumenacher was in his band Cracker and Cameron Van Beethoven, so I worked with him for a while, long time, and love. I Cracker. said, you guys have done books. Yeah, so Victor's a friend of mine, and and uh, he's a good dude, and I said, look, you guys. Um, you guys have put out books. How do you do it? And he goes, I've got a print broker for you. How? This guy, how? And he's going to, he can get you into China and do all this. And you got to do it there. Otherwise you just can't, can't afford it. You know, cause I did some books with blurb. It was like so expensive. It yeah. was good for what it was, but it was so expensive. 
I couldn't resell it. And anyway, so I, I figured out how to make books with this. Imp- so then I had to start an imprint. So I had to start this company. So I said, what am I going to call it? And I agonized over a name. I was going to do Fat Einstein books or something and just kind of use something I'd done in the past. Yeah, yeah. And then I said, well, let me think about this and do some research. And I looked up like Random House or some of these publishing houses. And, like Random House, I thought was brilliant because it was random. So they can do anything they want. Like they can claim it's random. It's There's yep. no specific mission, yep. maybe besides publishing a wide array of books. And I thought, well, that's smart. What if I, you know, what what could I think of that's like that? And then I came up with sporadic because I, I figured the way I operate is pretty sporadic. I don't really know what I'm doing from one day to the next, uh, from an art <laughs> point of view, from work, work's more planned out. But like from an art point of view, I'm just kind of plodding through it. And so right, sporadic. Right press i looked up sporadic press and it was available so i I grabbed it and uh incorporated it so um so that way i figured i can it gives me leeway to do more i can do more books or i can never do a book again i don't know i don't know what's going to happen but this book but it allows me to do this book um and get it listed up and and i got it on amazon for a reasonable price because the first time i did it it was like 130 bucks to buy it on amazon it cost me a hundred dollars to print it then i had to pay amazon 20 and then i would make like nine (laughs) dollars off a book um so blurb would make a hundred amazon would make 20 and i'd make nine yeah yeah that was the economics of it It didn't work out surprisingly i sold four god i got a couple of really good friends um but you know surprisingly i sold four and um but then, so this book enabled me to get the price down. So now it's like thirty four ninety five, or like for Amazon Day, I, I I put on sale for like twenty eight dollars. But it's like you know, I I can I can serve. I don't make a ton of money even on that. But but it's much more accessible to people. I wanted it to be like in a in a price point where it was like, hey, it's like a meal for parents and their kids. Like it's it's not yeah. that much of an expense. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't want to take money away from kids. But. Right, but book pricing is, you know, in comic book world, that's that's number one thing. Uh, it might cost, yeah, might be a loss leader to put out that first trade paperback is ten bucks, but you can charge fourteen or eighteen the next time around because they're going to come back for right. that fix. <laughs> like I can't yep. read the first volume without the second, knowing the second one's out there, so they'll buy it. You know, exactly. Um, and the book too, like I, I honestly like as far as lost leaders, I love that. I always wanted to call the band the Lost Leaders, you know, <laughs> we're the Lost Leaders. I always thought that'd be the best band name. Um, <laughs> totally. Maybe, maybe we should start it. Maybe we're the Lost yep. Leaders. Um, but but yeah, so it's, I think yeah, you're right. Like I, I, I would rather move them and make no money or lose a little bit of money rather than sit on a box of them for the rest of my life, you know. So I want to move. Them. I I don't think that you I, what people should really check this book out. I think you could probably see it uh, like on preview on Amazon, right? Um, like there's yep. it's it's basically if I'll I'll describe the book for you and you can tell me if I'm wrong. But okay. you, it's it's a, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's it's basically an Instagram photo. It's Instagram in book form, uh, and Jerry uses. Uh, a camera and gets down really close to tiny toys and puts these toys all over the world. And uh, you have the best part is the juxtaposition about the the toys and where they are. So, and uh, and it also has another piece yeah. of interaction with the uh, with just like on Instagram there would be captioned below a photo. But what you've done is something very cool and you've put in a lot of famous quotes from a lot of famous people, from a lot of diverse people, from a lot of diverse ideas and your own ideas yeah. uh, to caption the photos basically. And to hold a book in your hand that has such beautiful pictures is just, it's super nice, man. It's its really, I love it. It's great. I appreciate it. Hopefully it's accessible to a lot of different, I've, I'll tell you a funny story, but, um, in a second, but the, um, you know, um, what was I going to say? <laughs> I was going to say something really profound and I just let it go. I'll, so I'll switch to the story that I know. Um, <laughs> Perfect. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so, well, I mean, you know, you do things because you, it's a labor of love and you have a vision and you just, you know, if, if you're, I mean, that's the way I know you think clay. And that's why I'm always thinking like, you know, I work and all this stuff, but it's like, I, well, how can I do this painting? How can I get this thing done? I want to do this thing. And you come up with stuff to do. And as doing this book, I, you know, you don't know if people are going to receive it well or not. I, I, you know, you know, so it's a lot of fun to do. But then I remember I, one person came back and she was like, thank you so much. I'm like, 
I'm like, you're welcome. Man. Thank you more, more. Thank you for enjoying this and whatever. And then she goes, no, I got to tell you, you know, I got to tell you. And I got the story from her about how it was this night around and her grandfather hadn't been feeling well. He'd been really cranky, not communicative. And she really got it for her father, who was into cars, who was into toys. And so he loved it. And they started debating which pictures were real. And they're like, that's not real. That's fake. And of course, they're all toys. <laughs> they're they all toys. Arguing that some were real. They're all toys, and um, even me in the front. And um, and so then the grandfather came down, and he started talking, and she goes, we had the best time we spent all night. We went through every single page of the family, three generations arguing about which was real. That can't be a toy and those kind of things, you know? And I'm like, wow, it's great. And she goes, and then, you know, he went to bed, and we, we got up the next morning, and we found he was dead. And I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, you know, oh, I, I didn't really know what to say. And she goes, and she yeah. And she goes, no, no, no. She, she goes, no, no, no. I don't mean this in a bad way. We, we had, you know, he, you know, he had been going for a long time. He'd been so feeling so awful. We had the best night with him. We spent hours together of the best quality time we'd had in months before oh. he died. It was the best gift we ever could have had. And oh, I was like, wow. That's so Who, great. Whoever would have thought, whoever would have thought that you could have that impact in someone's life. And, um, you know, she, I didn't have, if I didn't happen to run into her, I wouldn't have even, you know, I wouldn't have known. She, maybe it would have taken her six months to get around to mailing me or something, you know. So it was just like I, I had no idea. And, and so that was that was pretty pretty early on, a few months ago, when I just released the book. So um, it was great to hear something like that. It makes you go, okay, this is, this is worthwhile. You know, that, it's connecting with people. And like you were mentioning, I put quotes. I, I, I always look at it as connecting dots that are already out there in the universe. And so I'm taking oh, these yeah. toys that have been around for a hundred years or whatever. And I happen to have them for a moment, you know, and they'll go somewhere else after me. And I'm connecting that to a place in time and maybe somebody else's thoughts. So I usually connect the quotes to the toy or to the place. And I try to connect, I try to find some thread that makes all of them make sense together. Uh, and it's contemplative, you know, very contemplative and impressive. And the, the insights, the ones that you're right uh, are funny. And then sometimes they're like weird and uh, you know, like, <laughs> uh, I, yeah. I gotta say, <laughs> yeah. I, I want to say that a grandpa rest in peace. And I oh just God. think that he, you know, like how active he was and how much, much pleasure it like gave him to think about that. I'm looking at Eastern Sierra, California, San Francisco, this green Ford pickup truck. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I would argue that they, (laughs) they talked about that one, whether it was real or not, because that one, that one is spectacular. (laughs) The light is amazing, right? Because it's in the desert. I think it's in death Valley, right? Somewhere where it's close to death Valley, but it's high in the high Sierras, I guess I should say. And, um, and, uh, the thing about that, that I always think is funny is like, uh, the ground, if you look at it, is way out of scale. Like, you know, there's, it's really yeah. chunky and it makes no sense. But your eye, when you just look at it, you don't, you see right past that and you don't dwell on it for some reason. I don't know why. And you sort uh, of look I at like... the truck as if it's just a regular truck. Like, you, you just, that's the thing that's the trick of the eye. The Trump loyal, as they would say in art school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trump loyal. <laughs> yeah, Trump loyal. <laughs> yeah, you're the French Canadian. I'm sorry for hacking that, but, you know. Trump loyal sounds like a political party, like a right, far right wing political <laughs> yeah. party. The Trump, Trump loyal, Trump loyal, twenty twenty. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of my mom's favorite favorite kind of paintings, by the way. So this is fucking great. All right, um, nice. Uh, I have to say, I I I flagged some pictures just to to talk about. I have as an editor oh, yeah? of a magazine. I I took my little um, page mark uh, sticky notes and I have them sticking out. Oh yeah, different, <laughs> different colors. That's and, cute. That's cute. And then I have once once <laughs> one. I, I want to talk about the quote. I put the put it going a different direction. Um, but yeah, you have you have a quote from Ronald Reagan in here about tearing down the wall. I do. And uh, I like to balance it out and find that like, women and men and people of different political views, if I can find the right quotes, like just to kind of give voice all around and not be just like, oh, I'm a lefty, crazy liberal, like or anything. I People can easily say I am or something. But so I want to like make sure there's like well-rounded and really I put a lot of time into trying to connect, like dig out a good one, a good one that hasn't been used. And stuff. Well, and like here's something about like what's going on in current discourse today. It's like here you can take this quote from ronald reagan and it and it shines and it sings and like the the smart nugget of what he was saying is like really there and like now everybody's just like right or wrong 
black or white. You know, this is like this is from Reagan, right. but it's like a very like compassionate uh, quote about tearing down the walls in Russia. The Iron Curtain. Right. And when you hear and he was like the great orator, right? He was very good at marketing. And not that, you know, Trump is great at marketing, too. Just maybe not the kind of marketing I like, but um, he's good. You can't say he's not good. But yeah. look what he's doing. But but uh, he's good at that anyway. But um, but, you know, you, but there's no compassion in his messages. You know, even like Reagan, you would think was so evil at certain points in history, as, as if we remember him for certain things that he didn't act on, like the AIDS epidemic and different things. And and uh, being a kid, we were scared shitless about nuclear war. I mean, that was a real thing <laughs> yeah. to be scared yeah. of. Yeah, we, right. we had the movie like the day after and stuff, which scared the shit out of me as a kid. And, um, you know, nuclear war was a thing. And uh, so, I mean, Trump just seems like a blowhard to us compared to somebody who, hey, we don't agree with him, but, you know, and you can admit that he's a great orator, right? Yeah, right. You know, and a communicator. Right, right. And, uh, and he had some compassion, right? Somewhere in there, he just had different values, maybe than my particular values right. exactly. But but everybody has different values, and that's how we all exist. We just have to respect each other, yeah, and exactly. come to some agreements. And, and what yeah. you're you're so lucky to live in like a, a really rich uh, like cultural town like uh, San Francisco. Uh, you, yeah, you this this Anthony Bourdain quote is about San Francisco, and you know, oh versus, yeah versus uh being new yorkers is great and yeah. uh and le- so that was in china i was gonna say is that in chinatown uh you know you got like a- it is in chinatown and that was the restaurant apparently where he and if you in the back of the book there's a few setups that are harder to maybe like i figure aren't general knowledge but yeah, i you, went for you them kind anyway, of like, like have a, an appendix of like oh here's a little bit of extra background on these things yeah, like the Iggy Pop one. There's a reason he's in front of that doorway, and that the doorway was the Jay Mizell Mansion that no longer exists. That was there for many decades, right? He bought it in the '60s, and this eccentric photographer who lived there, and it was this decrepit, crazy, funky, run-down mansion in the middle of the Lower East Side. And that they tore it down just not long after I took that photo. So it was, you know, to be able to connect Iggy Pop, who would play at CBGBs, which is right down the street, to the Jay Mizell Mansion, all that was was fun. And um, and yeah, the Anthony Bourdain one. He when he would come here because I used to work in food. Uh, 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 websites and stuff. So it was like, we knew a lot about Anthony Bourdain. He actually wrote a story for us once and, and he was awesome. And, and he, but he would come to, to San Francisco and that was his favorite place to get a drink. Oh, so, that's so great. I, so in the back, I explained it. That was it. He would, every time he would come, he would always go there and get this certain drink. And that was, that was a thing for him. So that's why I took a picture of that. Uh, the, 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 the Lipo lounge, I believe it is. Lipo lounge. Pretty divey place. We played bands play there. Punk bands play there sometimes too. It's a pretty fun place. Oh, really? Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Some we other. Played my... there. We played there once. You play in the you play in the basement of a of a small Chinese um, bar. Like like, <laughs> it's pretty funky. It doesn't get any better than that. I mean, that's like why it's like still would be like someone could say, "Let's go down there to Jocks and like play in the basement tomorrow," and I would do it. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah, man. Jocks is Jocks is amazing. Uh, amazing. Uh, there's there's other great shots in San Francisco here that and one it like ties to a memory. Both the times I've visited you in San Francisco, we've gone to this the uh, Dolores Park, the, the hill, and you're oh, just yeah. like check this Twin out. Peaks. Yeah, oh, so beautiful up there, and uh, I'm just it's amazing. Digging Everybody it. who comes to San Francisco needs to go to Twin Peaks and just t- look, and you can see 360 degrees around you, and put the whole geography and landscape into perspective in one shot. And that was so great. You took the time to like take us on a nice little tour, man. That was that was just awesome. That was like one of my favorite things. It was so great. I'm I'm hoping to be a tour guide later, like John Joseph does those Lower East Side tours. I want to do like <laughs> some kind of some kind of San Francisco tour. Like I can tell you, oh, there's the building where they found a whole family buried in the wall that had been there for sixty years. Yep, that's that building. And then yeah, I can show you the the, the square where where John Lennon had written his name in cement with Yoko. I can show you where Charles Manson's apartment was and where they shifted the numbers so that nobody can find his house anymore. I don't know if you know that story. Oh wow! Um, so Charles Manson was on Cole Street at one point. I think it was like six forty six or four sixty six or something. It was right in there, but it was right when you come off Haight Street. And uh, what they did because so many people would come to that house is that they they switched all the numbers on the street. <laughs> and they um they collapse it so that number doesn't exist anymore and they just collapse the numbers down everybody agreed to do it uh and they got it done somehow so that you go looking for 646 whatever it is on cole street and um and you'll be like wait there's no it's not here yeah because it's not there 
And, so you don't know, you know, unless you know, you don't know which apartment it was anymore. And, and you are, you told me you have an, an unhealthy obsession with Whitey Bulger. <laughs> I did. I was, so when Whitey took off in the nineties, I was actually in the car with him. Um, <laughs> I, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Imagine that. <laughs> we'll be Whitey would some have people over five there. minutes patience for me. <laughs> Whitey would be like, get the hell out of my car. Although he did drop off one of his, his first girlfriend he ran away with in the 90s. You know, it was Catherine Craig was the second. There was this other woman he ran away with first. And so when she didn't want to be on the road with him, he agreed and he drove her back. You know, he dropped her off about one mile from my parents' house in Hingham at this um, Bertucci's, I think it was. Or something. <laughs> no way. That's yeah i'm like mom you know but at one point we were probably in there eating lasagna or meatloaf just hanging out and moati bulger was you know dropping off his his wife uh, down the street <laughs> get the fuck out of here get out of my car <laughs> i'm going back Get out of my car I'll, I'll take some marinara and ravioli okay let's go uh i, I what i want to just point out one other uh thing that i i like about the book is it's touches me deep in in the soul which is you have destro in oakland and, oh yeah and it's yeah. paired with a, a richard <laughs> dawkins uh quote that you yeah. that you mentioned before about like having you're talking about having a toy and then it's yours and like all this stuff around you whatever it's it's yours for a period of time and then maybe it'll be around for somebody else yeah right Things exist either because they have recently come into existence or because they have qualities that made them unlikely to be destroyed in the past. Richard Dawkins. Yeah. Right. That's fucking... It makes you... That's a deep one. <laughs> that's a good one, man. <laughs> you can you can dwell on that for hours. and you th Especially this part where it's like things that have made them unlikely to be destroyed in the past. And that's Destro, right? So that's where I got the destroyed. But it's like... Because um, he's destroyer. But... Mm -hmm. um. Yeah, imagine that. Some things just exist because they can't be destroyed for a period of time, right? Or like, yeah, I think about these toys, right? Like, I'm surrounded by toys right now, right? I, <laughs> I love it. It's so awesome. And you go looking through the shelves and you forget some of the things you have. And then, just, uh, you know, because I've got ideas for all these toys and eventually I'll get to them. But, uh, yeah, it's just all these possibilities. And I always think about the crew of people. Like, you think about, oh, Apple, iPhones. But, okay, there's a crew of amazing people making these products. These are great. But I look at all these old toys made in the 20s, made in the 30s, even the 50s. or some of the amazing new toys they make now and figures. It's like the casting, the design, the thought, the intent that goes behind some of this stuff. It's just amazing. It always has been oh, ever since from the 1800s. I have toys from the 1800s that would blow your mind. What, like at the craftsmanship. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even like, you know, like so the, I, the first photo you have in here is uh, like looks like old, very old, like the the, the cyclists uh, uh, taking. Oh, it. yeah, the, it's like Rod, are Rod probably are from the the forties. Yeah, they're they're cats. Yeah, that's up in Vancouver. I love it because those t those two cyclists too. I just I love those kind of metal cyclists. I think I got those in France. But at a flea market type of place, um, it was a guy, a guy who sold mostly like um, Corgi, not Corgi, but the other brand that's like Corgi type cars, um, Dinky, Dinky cars, big in France. And so he had those, but then he had a couple of cyclists. And I, at the time, I didn't have a lot of cash. So I was like, oh, I can't buy much of the stuff, but the cyclists were affordable. And I, anyway, as I looked at them, like their faces, they have like, they're, they're, they're stuck in this moment in time for a second and they have this anguish on their face. Like, and they're always in that state. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, they're almost like rent in tin. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, they're just, yeah, so, and I, like, I'm looking right here. I have a couple of bobsledders in a toy, and I'm looking at their face. They're bobsledding forever. Well, until the toy gets destroyed. But <laughs> at some point, you know, all this stuff uh, will go to someone else, and you're just a custodian. So I, I, I connect all these toys in one place. I feel there's a lot of energy here oh. uh, with all these toys. And it's so, so awesome the reverence you have for them. And the, I mean, it's just cool. Like, some are some of the shots are just like funny, and some of them are like very like sincere, and some of them are like wee uh, wee. Oui, oui, I'm driving this car in France, <laughs> you know. Like there, it, there yeah. are a lot of emotions that like you go through uh, looking at all these photos, and I, I can see it bringing like a family. I'm glad to, to hear that. You know, that's awesome, man. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. Most of those shots, like I, some of those are five years old. Like I did, the, it took me forever to get this book together, and then I, I tried doing it two years ago. So I had these shots were done the last few of them were probably done two and a half three years ago and they were done like four years before that for those i did the iphone 5 the iphone 6 and 7 plus those are the three cameras i used on pretty much those shots and you're using um, uh professional but, gear now like uh you know not your phone no no oh 
No, I just I just use my phone, and uh, now I'm on the iPhone 10, and I have a couple of lights that I'll bring around. I have various a couple of pieces of gear, like a reflector. Uh-huh. And um, if if actually there was a, a company, Smug Mug, put a um, yeah, film together on yeah. kind of my the, the way I work, and that's um, like I, it, it documents 24 hours of shooting toys in New York City, and that that's out on YouTube. It's called Little Toys Big World, and in there you can see kind of my technique and how I I just lie on the ground, pretty much in public places or wherever, and it usually gets me either into trouble or some kind of conversation <laughs> with somebody. I've been I've been mistaken for being a dead dead like i think four or five times now in different in three different countries where like i'll be lying on the ground and trying to get a shot of a matchbox car or something or an ho scale figure or something and and uh i remember the first time i heard i saw this truck kind of wheel go by not far from my head and i'm like whoa i better get out of it i was in copenhagen it was in a snowbank or something and all of a sudden you're blah 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 blah, blah. and all these guys come over and they they grab me and i'm like whoa whoa and they're like speaking to me in Danish and I have no idea what they're saying. And, and I'm like, whoa. And, and, and I start pointing. I'm like, no, no. And I start pointing at this matchbox car in the snow and they're like, what? And then they start talking English. I'm like, no, I'm shooting a matchbox car. And they just start laughing and like, oh, 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 oh. You know, these huge party laughs. Because they were like sanitation workers, right, in Copenhagen. They were yeah. like, you know. And I'm just like trying to explain to them, no, I'm just some like tourist shooting a, a matchbox car in the middle of the road like a dumbass about to get run over by a dump truck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's so great. Well, and then I remember these two girls by the Alameda Flea, and I just hear these girls screaming, ah, "Oh my God, are you okay? Are you okay?" <laughs> and these girls come running over. I'm like, "I'm okay. I'm just the old white-haired guy lying in the street. I'm taking a picture of a little tiny weeble or something." And um, and the craziest one, I was up shooting Bullet. You know that movie Bullet? I did a shot of Bullet, and I'm really happy with how that came out. Um, but while I was shooting it, I'm up on this the road where they shot the movie up here in the, the mountains behind San Francisco, and. Um, all of a sudden, as I'm shooting, I hear this car come screeching up into minivan. I'm like, oh, shit, here comes another mom who thinks I'm dead. And sure enough, she comes running out. She goes, oh, my God, are you okay? She's running over. And I pick <laughs> up. I'm like, oh, I'm fine. I'm, I'm trying to take a shot. And I'm putting the car. She comes right up to me, and she goes, damn you. And she starts hitting me. She goes, don't ever scare the shit out of me like that again. And she starts hitting me. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> hey, lady, now you're hurting me. Come on. You know, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to scare you by shooting toys in public. Uh, but, you know, she she was really distraught that i was dead and then now <laughs> i'm alive and i put her through all that stress <laughs> oh thank god you're alive man like wow man <laughs> yeah and then these other guys stopped from this motorcycle shop and they're like what, what they saw my motorcycle they said hey do you need help and i'm like no i'm just trying to take a picture oh, right, right. everybody leave me alone right you know and it just this is one of these times where i just kept and then somebody tried to steal my backpack this was this is in between the two events and i had to oh. go chase this guy off and pulled over in his car trying to steal the backpack on my motorcycle then i come back and then these other guys drive up and i'm like well i just trying to take a picture man and and they um and it turns out one of them was a bullet fan and he was showing his friend the movie bullet around town so he's driving his van around there, and they get down. They see the bullet recreation I made, and he starts losing his mind. Like, you know, that guy's in the street. He's like, you take a selfie for me, all this stuff. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah. And, man, it, it, was, it was like 45 minutes later. I'm like, all right, guys, I'm really going to take this picture. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm losing light. I'm losing light. <laughs> exactly. I'm looking at the light going, damn it, I already missed the best light. You guys are driving me crazy. Um, Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, it, in the film I was talking about, there's a time I shoot Trump in front of the Trump Tower, and um, and the police come up to them in Fifth Avenue, and I'm kind of in the street, and the horses are going by and stuff, and I'm, yeah, I'm okay. I, I kind of, I do this pretty regularly, so I'm used to, and I was a messenger, so I'm not scared of being in the middle of the street yeah. or surrounded by cars close to my okay. head. That's kind of normal yeah. to me. And so I'm doing this, and then the cop comes up, and I'm like, oh, hey, officer, you know, and I'm like, hey, um, do you know who that guy is? And this is in the film. And he goes, yeah, I know who that guy is. He laughs, and, I, and the next thing I said, that's not in the film. I'm like, do you need me to move? Uh, do you need me to get out of the street? And he goes, nah, buddy, you ain't fucking got to go anywhere, he says. <laughs> <laughs> He wasn't a Trump supporter, I guess. So he he was he was like he, he got a chuckle out of it. He was like, "No, you're fine. Stay in the street." You know. <laughs> That's awesome. Wow, dude! Thank yeah. you so much for talking. This is uh, this book is amazing, and, and and we might be doing some fun stuff uh, with with the book. Uh, definitely, people should check out the the movie. He says it's on YouTube. I'll I'll link it up on the on the show too. Yeah, it's on YouTube, and, it, and it's produced by Smug Mug. Um, recent, who is pretty awesome. Recently, too. just acquired Flickr, right? The, yeah, it actually, yeah, funny, funny. They recently just acquired Flickr. It's the best thing that could have happened to Flickr. If any of you guys are into that, you'll know why. Uh, the Flickr was kind of looking for a home for a long time, and Smugbug's a good home for them. They yeah. really care about what's going on. But I um, mean, I've been paying. They Flickr. did a great job with the film. I, full disclosure: I've been play, paying Flickr for pro quality uh, backup uh, uh, fo- 
uh, iPhone photos for like fucking 10 years now or whatever. Like I always have the pro oh. account and I'm like, why do I have this? Did you know you had it? Why am I, why do I have this account? Yeah. <laughs> no, it like backs up everything like, uh, in uh, high res oh, sort yeah. of like, uh, you oh, know, yeah. it's like a, it's like Vimeo, but for photos, I put my photos up there. So I know I have a high res backup, right. but yeah. And we do stuff with work with Flickr, like and stuff, but it just like, seems like it's so dead. Uh, but people use, yeah, I mean, people share wedding photos with smug mug. So like, it seems like it's more popular. Yeah. Yeah, and if you look at Smug Mug Films, is really awesome. Anton Lorimer is the uh, director there, and, and uh, he puts all the films together. He's amazing. I love working with him. And he's got he's got a new one coming out. I mean, they're they're a, um, they're they're award winning film series. It, they 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 are epic. And so I was lucky enough to participate in one of those. And and um, so I'm a big fan of Smug Mug. And um, you should go check out Little 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 uh, Little Toys Big World is the name of the film. It's uh, so it's about 24 hours going through New York and. And um, taking toy photos, so it's about seven minutes long. It's not that big of a commitment either. Um, and, and oddly enough, um, when I did that film, it was right around the time they were acquiring Flickr, and uh, although it was all hush hush, but uh, I knew what was going on. And um, and they asked me to be a, not a spokesmodel, but a model for <laughs> for their campaign called Together, the Together campaign. So that ran for like six months, and um, and so I was one of the four photographers they were rotating through. So I was on the face of their campaign. So I was getting all kinds of uh, crazy attention at that moment too, just for kind of being one of the models. So I was shooting a burning dumpster, and we had a bunch of real firemen and stuff running up behind me. And I actually haven't published the the, the dumpster photo yet. I've got to publish that photo. I haven't uh, <laughs> I haven't let the cat out of the bag about what I was photographing yet. Now you guys know. Oh, Maybe sweet. I'll publish it before this goes get, live. Get the exclusive. Yeah, that's fucking great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, dude, thank you so much for I, this. Is like this is really like an honor to like catch up with you and like tell share w- with you uh, the the audience like our uh, like our shared past. But I wanted to know more about this book and like you know, uh, I was just so psyched and I was like immediately bought it. And you were like, "Can I send you one?" I'm like, "I already, no, I already bought it." <laughs> so, <laughs> I appreciate it, man. You know, and next, uh, hopefully, by the time this airs, and hopefully soon, I can get this my bookstore live in uh, Europe and in Japan too, because uh, I've got. I'm trying to get that to happen. It's just, you know, trying to every day, you know, it's a, it's a bit of work to get those stores open. So I'll be, I'm working on it just for anybody. I've got a few people waiting in different places, but Europe and uh, Japan soon. Well, if and I, thanks for having me on, man. I, Yo, go ahead. Sorry. Thank you. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, thank, thanks for having me on, man. It's an honor. Just like, and it's really fun to just hang out on the phone with you and shoot the shit and remember all these things and kind of just appreciate, uh, kind of creativity and some of the stuff going on. Be able to exchange some stories. So thank you for this time. Uh, and thank you. And I I was just going to, if I may offer, this is what I learned from my first podcast. Would you allow me to offer you a suggestion about your next book? Thank you. (laughs) 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 You should put, (laughs) you should put on the spine should be, should be blocks of yellow, yellow and red and the international version. So it sticks out on the international show, and it would look like uh, like that's a good idea. The signs in Europe, the the street signs are always all checkered and look like that too. Oh yeah, yeah. So so that would probably give me more authority in the European market. They'd be like, "This must be a government book that I need to read." <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, all right, all right, man. I'm gonna let you go. This is you can't get better than this, man. This right. is so great. Thank you so much, man. All right, brother. I had a blast. Thank you. All right, I'll talk to you soon, I'll talk Jerry. To you soon. Later. Today's episode is brought to you by Burial Ground at burialground.org. The collective vision of longtime friends Jamie Moores and Bill Krasafi, with a mutual obsession over occultism, magic, spirituality, and a deep nostalgia for old New England and the remaining echoes of the Victorian era that haunt the landscape of the region. Made from and inspired by materials in the New England wilderness, Barrel Ground conjures up a tangible sense of hand craftsmanship, raw emotions from that connection to the earth, and the highest quality handmade jewelry around. A pentacle pendant was recently featured on the Halloween episode of American Horror Story worn by Harriet Sansom Harris. Are you on the lookout for a unique holiday gift? Hit to Burial Ground and enter ITTIGpod at checkout for free domestic shipping on jewelry and incense. 
That's burialground.org and offer code ITTIGPOD at checkout.